This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. My friends, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Those are the words of John, the beloved disciple, in preparing for these times. In the latter times, said the Apostle Paul, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines. And the warning of the Apostle Paul is clear, and it should be convincing to any of us who are sober-minded. But we have to be aware. That warning is to professing Christians, those who profess to be saints who are warned. For a person cannot depart from a place or position in which he or he has never been. Again, the same Apostle Paul warned the saints that to be not to be soon shaken in mind or be troubled in spirit, as that day of Christ is at hand. Let no man, he said, deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. But what will cause that falling away? What are the participant parts of that falling away? Well, it involves three things. False prophets, false teaching, and a false hope. And today we continue on with a three-part series that began in the middle of last month talking about this matter of seducing spirits and doctrines. Today, we look at the exploration of falsity that threatens our faith, how it's coming about. And we have to remember that the deceiver, that is the master counterfeiter, Satan himself, is adept at seducing saints to receive and believe falsity as if it were truth. And it's precisely because believers believe the false to be the truth that they are seduced by unsound doctrine and those who purvey it. And so today, we look at false prophets. False prophets. And it should not be very difficult for us to comprehend this because we've seen many false prophets come in the name of health and medicine to supposedly deal with the issue of the COVID virus. Yet deceiving untold millions, if not billions of people on the planet by not telling the truth, not telling the whole truth, and having ulterior motives for what they say or don't say. Such as the same description, the same problem that occurs inside the body of Christ with regard to issues that you and I are called to understand and apply to our lives, and if we don't, it leaves us down the primrose path to destruction. Destruction. So, today, as I said, we continue on with looking at seducing spirits and doctrines. But what is a prophet? Well, a false prophet is one who either counterfeits his calling as an imposter 
or perverts his calling to please men. But what is a prophet? That's one of the problems that we have to deal with. The church Christ is building, we're told, was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, of course, being the chief of the prophets. In fact, Jesus, God the Son, incarnated three distinct spiritual offices on earth for God the Father. The first was prophet, the second was priest, and the third was king. Jesus incarnated all three of those unusual and interesting roles, prophet, priest, and king. Now, ultimately, there will be one who is soon to come upon this planet who will purport to incarnate those three roles for the planet. His name is the Antichrist, the counterfeit Christ. And he also will have a false prophet who will assist him in deceiving the peoples of this planet, which you can read about in Revelation chapter 13. He is going to emulate as best he can, as best Satan can emulate Christ, who incarnated prophet, priest, and king, this counterfeit Christ, the imposter, will also appear as a prophet, priest, and king. And so we need to be aware of what is coming ultimately. But then again, within the body of Christ, among those who believe that we are prepared for this counterfeit Christ and would not be deceived by him, there are many aspects within the body that are subject to deception. In fact, all the warnings of Scripture are to professing believers, including the warning of false prophets. Notice, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out in the world, said John, 1 John 4, 1, and he was talking to the church, to you and to me. So what about this office of the prophet in the church or in the kingdom of God? It's profound, friends. It's very profound. In fact, the entire church, as we stated, repeating what Paul the Apostle stated, is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Now, I want you to think about this. It's important to note that the church is not built on the foundation of pastors or priests, whether past or present. Now, the popularly held notion displayed in the practice of the church concerning the so-called five-fold ministry has led to much doctrinal deception and moral decay within the body of Christ. What is this five-fold ministry? Well, we'll talk about that in just a moment. But the true prophet is no more desired in the church today than were the prophets sent to ancient Israel and Judah, even Christ himself among the priests and religious potentates of his day. So we have to clearly distinguish between the offices of prophet and of priest or pastor, because confusion can lead to counterfeiting and false prophecy. 
Paul reminds us that God gave to the church five specific ministry callings or offices. And here they are. Listen to the order in which these are given. First, apostles, then prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. These offices are to be current and active in the New Testament church. That was a writing by the Apostle Paul to the New Testament church. And those gifts, while they may be five in number, are not all incarnated in a single person called the pastor. Because the pastor is a separate calling. Today we look at the prophet. I hope you'll stay tuned. All of these gifts for the perfecting of the saints, but the prophet, a very unusual purpose. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Today we do the second part in a three-part series that began in mid-December, Seducing Spirits and Doctrines. Today we talk about false prophets, not false teachers, but false prophets. The so-called five-fold ministry gifts, or actually we should say five callings or specific offices of the church, Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are all for the purpose of bringing us into the unity of the faith that we be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. It's for the purpose of bringing the church together in the knowledge of the truth and obedience to it. But they're separate and distinct offices. They're not just things that we do. They're callings that we have. So we need to define the terms uh, by definition and by function. For instance, a pastor rules over a pasture. He feeds and guides the sheep as a constant companion. He's a shepherd, charged not only with feeding the sheep, but with guarding them on an ongoing, shall we say, friendship basis. But his greatest weakness is that he grows so much to identify with the sheep and their voice that it begins to muffle or render him increasingly tone deaf to the still small voice of God. So for that reason, the people increasingly conform to the ways of the ungodly culture drifting away from the truth The pastor, over time then, tends to drift with the people to retain their favor. He comes, as was said of the religious leaders of Jesus' day, to love the praises of men more than the praise of God. And finally, over time, perhaps a generation, the picture becomes clear to an unattached observer that it has become like people 
like priest, and apostasy begins to set in and become increasingly normative. Now, that doesn't mean that a pastor is an evil person. He has a unique calling, and his calling is to represent the people to God. Unfortunately, he tends increasingly to be moved by the praises of men and gradually deviates in whole or in part, usually unperceptively to the majority of the people, away from the cutting edge of the truth. The priest officiates in spiritual things for God, too, and among the people. The true prophet, on the other hand, operating the office of prophet, represents God to the people. So the nature and level of the prophet's inspiration to speak on God's behalf is qualitatively different than that of a pastor or priest, and therefore the difference in the designation. Again, we must repeat that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, not on the basis of the foundation of the pastors and evangelists and teachers. So how then are we to understand this role or this uh, office of the prophet? First of all, while many or even most prophets seem to be foretellers, the prevailing, the primary role of all prophets is to be a forth teller, not a foreteller, but a forth teller. And the nature of a true prophet's forth telling is dramatically different in spirit and in force and in message and in solemnity from the preaching and teaching of most pastors and priests. Unless, that is, the pastor himself is actually a true prophet. And there are precious few of those. So the pastor-priest is primarily concerned with nurture and feeding, and they're needed. But the prophet bears the burden of rejection for a message that neither pastor nor people are really wanting to hear or deliver. So for that reason, Jesus mourned over Jerusalem. Remember what he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent to you. So what Jesus was saying is they refused to receive God's correction to keep them on the straight path, and so it is today. Notice, Jesus didn't uh, lament about the killing of the pastors or the priests or of the teachers. No. He warned, he wooed, he wept over the killing of the prophets. In reality, friends, the prophet, the true prophet, is the ultimate patriot. He speaks pointedly for God to the people, bringing precise warning and powerful wooing with the objective of turning their hearts back to holy purpose and practice. And the true prophetic voice becomes most identifiable when the people have drifted away from pure doctrine and godly living calling both pastor, priest, and people to repent. So, the prophet, as Isaiah wrote, lifts up his voice like a trumpet 
to show God's people their transgressions. He cries out to turn the hearts from religious pretense to righteous purpose so that the people and their land might again rejoice in God's perfect plan to give them a hope and a future like Jeremiah talked about. So, God raises up this provocative voice of the prophet when, listen carefully, when he can no longer trust the pastor priest to preach righteousness, for they have become like people, like priest. So, we need to talk about identifying how this works, what false prophecy looks like, how we can help to identify false prophecy and false prophets. In order to get a perhaps a, a, a an interesting insight into the role of a prophet, I'm going to share with you something that we put on our website called the Lighthouse Prophet of the Seas. The Lighthouse Prophet of the Seas. Please listen very carefully as I share these thoughts with you. First of all, there is a radical misunderstanding as to the purpose of a lighthouse. The purpose of the lighthouse is not to make people feel good. Now, we have people that collect lighthouses, and there's nothing wrong with that. They're very interesting. They've been gradually in the process of being phased out over the last uh, 50 years. On the other hand, one has to wonder why the lighthouse is being phased out when its purpose is not to woo people but to warn them. The primary purpose of a lighthouse is to warn people, to warn ships, to warn boats, to warn the captains of those ships and boats, to avoid ultimate destruction. So the very existence of a lighthouse reveals great danger that's lurking within the sphere of its of its base and beam. Further, a failure to heed its message can spell disaster for a careless captain or crew. A mighty ship, once proudly churning the seas, is suddenly humbled and destroyed simply by failure or refusal to heed its simple warning. And you probably heard the uh, little story about the uh, uh, message that came out from the captain of a boat. He saw the light in the distance, and he sent out a message. This is Captain So-and-so of uh, gave the name of the ship. Please turn immediately because you're in danger in my path. The message came back. No, sir, you must turn because you are the one that's in great danger. The captain of the ship came back and said, No, uh, this is a battleship. You must turn and turn immediately. The message came back to him, This is a lighthouse, sir, and you are the one that must turn or you will be destroyed. You see the problem. The problem is our perspective concerning the role of the prophet, the role of a lighthouse. 
that captain, being the captain of a great battleship, thought that he was the preeminent one, just like many pastors and priests do. They have a calling from God, and they feel like they are the one. But God begins to see that there's something more needed than the pastor and the priest because they have gradually gone the way of the people. So he raises up the prophetic voice, an office of the prophet, to woo and to warn pastors and priests and evangelists and teachers and all the people that are following them. A lighthouse is a beacon of hope, even though it's seen when it's realized that it's truly a lighthouse. It doesn't seem like hope. For instance, that battleship uh, captain, all of a sudden he realizes, I'm in deep trouble. Well, but that also brings a message of hope, that if he avoids continuing on in that course, he can avoid destruction. So the beacon light from the lighthouse pierces that frightening fog and the darkness, and the first glimmer of its rays both woos and warns. The warmth of its light woos the weary sailor with the hope of land and promise of safe harbor, but the same light from the lighthouse warns of destruction if it's not heeded. So to the careful sailor who would be willing to correct course, it's a beacon of hope. But to the casual and the careless, it may become ultimately a beacon of horror. So a lighthouse is both positive and negative. In other words, remember, the lighthouse, the prophet of the seas? So a prophet or a, at a lighthouse is both positive and negative. To the careful captain and crew, the warning of the beacon for the lighthouse that pierces the darkness is welcome, perceived as protection and guiding to a place of safety, right? But to the careless and arrogant captain and crew, the one who thinks they know it all, the one who thinks, I don't have to listen to that, the mere suggestion of course correction is an affront to pride and personal experience. So whether the message beaming from the lighthouse is deemed positive or negative, warning or hope, is actually a matter of attitude. A person's viewpoint then will determine their destiny. How do you respond to the lighthouse or how do you respond to the prophetic warning? Then again, a lighthouse will produce a response, either to it heed it or ignore it. The message beamed across the water to passing ships is not neutral. That pulsing light calls for a decision, just like the words from a true prophet. The facts are clear. The ambit of danger is real. The message requires response. Land and looming shoals can't change course. The captain and crew must choose to heed or ignore the warning. But either one is a response. If you heed, you will avoid calamity and embrace hope. On the other hand, to ignore is to tempt destruction and pull all hope at risk. That's what's happening today. A lighthouse doesn't seek to please people, but to provoke. A lighthouse exists to declare light to ships in darkness. It stands unique among both men and society. And there are very few of them. It's put in place for a very specific purpose, to woo and to warn the weary or the wandering. 
Its purpose is not to please, but to provoke, to provoke to action. Its message may require immediate or emergency course correction. And it doesn't pander to your feelings or personal corporate predilections. The declaration of the lighthouse is sure and without compromise. So perceived is the message of the prophet. And that's why they were hated, including Jesus. A lighthouse has to either declare or douse its light. Because the lighthouse has a single message. It doesn't teach sailors to navigate or how to power their journey, but how to avoid destroying their intended journey. So by blazing its, its, its beacon, it declares its message. If it reduces its intensity or diminishes its light, it's dousing its message and it might as well be torn down. The same is true with a prophet that refuses to tell the whole truth. We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. Saveus.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at saveus.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Always a delight to join you here on Viewpoint to talk about the things that matter most, to bring light in the midst of increasing darkness. And the Save America Ministries was ordained for one purpose, and that is to be an American lighthouse. The mission and mantle of Save America Ministries is to woo and to warn a nation near a moral and spiritual shipwreck. Save America Ministries is a beacon of hope to a nation wallowing in the tempestuous seas of spiritual distress. Save America is a bright, lighter voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Save America Ministries presents a message both positive and negative. It produces great hope in those who heed it, and it causes others to recoil in horror as they reject it. Save America Ministries delivers a message that produces response. People either heed it or ignore it, but either is a response. Save America seeks not to please, but to provoke to righteousness, reconciliation, and repentance. Spiritual course correction. Save America must either declare or douse its light. To diminish the clarity, directness, or intensity of the message is to abandon both calling and purpose as a lighthouse. So Save America declares a message that must pierce the night of all American darkness, wooing and warning of religious yet unrighteous people seeking heaven but courting hell on the near edge of Christ's second coming. For those of you who wondered what Save America Ministries is about, it could not be clearer. And so I thank you for joining us here on Viewpoint. 
viewpoint is the premier expression of Save America Ministries, echoing a prophetic wooing and warning, preparing the way of the Lord for history's final hour. Some may wonder, why are you so sober-minded? Why don't you laugh more? Well, we do laugh here on Viewpoint. I'm a happy person, quite frankly. Most people that know me think I'm a happy person. I can joke around a lot with people. But these issues are not to be joked about. Because they're life and death. A lighthouse cannot joke. Because it's not a joking matter. You're in the ambit of great danger, and that must be taken seriously. So, now you understand, if you were not familiar with that before, uh, and we have many new listeners that have been coming on, and uh, the latest report is that uh, last month there were list, actual listeners in 113 countries around the world. So the light is going out. Not quite as much as we would like in some places, but the light is going out. And we're, th- and we're grateful for that. So let's talk now about identifying the, this office of the prophet and why the scripture warns of false prophets. Well, when the scripture warns of false prophets, Such warnings include a broader range of religious persons who purport to lift up their voices to the people on God's behalf as if they speak prophetically. So you have the office of the prophet, and then you have other people who purport to speak as a prophet but don't have the office of the prophet. Those people have a genuine... uh, True prophets have a genuine prophetic office, but sometimes are unfaithful to the calling. Pastors or priests who purport to speak for God, but who distort or pervert the purity of God's message, thus leading the trusting flock to stray. People having no genuine prophetic office, nor being a pastor or priest, but being a prophetic imposter, gain purported prophetic authority supposedly through the force of their personality or the sensationalism of their so-called prophecies or prognostications. And you've probably heard such people. They're out there. People purporting to exercise the gift of prophecy, but who conjure their own prophetic message, it not being truly from God. So now that we've attempted to define this office and the role of the true prophet, it's time to trace some identifiable characteristics of a false prophet. Are you ready? Okay. First of all, the false prophet is false, either in his calling or in the consistency of message with either the whole of the Scripture or God's greater purposes. So the true prophet, like Jeremiah, cried out, My heart within me is broken because of the prophets. Notice, he's lamenting because of the prophets. Why? Why did this broken-hearted prophet thunder his warnings about false prophets? Well, it's because he saw their devastating moral and spiritual effect upon the people. They might have been well-intentioned. 
but they undermine God's prophetic purposes by seducing the people to comfort rather than conviction. I want you to consider those two words, comfort rather than conviction. Embracing ritual over righteousness. They resisted the true call to repentance and obedience by popularly pandering to the people's perceived self-interest. In other words, they wanted to please the people. So, Jeremiah painted a very dramatic contrast between the true and the false prophet. The false prophet he painted as profane or prostituted in purpose, practice, and message, causing God's people to err. So he painted this portrait of the prophetic counterfeit that shockingly follows the pattern of so-called prophetic ministry today. So we're going to look at 10, I call them the terrible 10, of Jeremiah's list of identifying a false prophet. The terrible 10. Now before we go any further, I want to uh, uh, make available to you my book, Seduction of the Saints, How to Stay Pure in a World of Deception. Because some of the things that we're sharing here today are in one chapter of that book, dealing with seducing spirits, but more particularly dealing with false prophets. This book deals with so many aspects, way beyond what most people would think of in in terms of deception and seduction. It applies the Bible in ways that most people don't even think about. It's designed to help us to stay pure in the world of deception that Jesus said was going to be the most characteristic thing of these end times. So it's an $18 book, yours for $15. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255, writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. By the way, let me just mention this. Some of you over the past week or so have indicated that you have tried to call our 800 number or our direct office number and were not able to get through. That was a problem with Verizon. It has supposedly been corrected this very day. So, don't ha- fail to uh, to call if you're uh, interested. One eight hundred Save USA. That's one eight hundred Save USA. All right. So we're identifying these terrible ten uh, Jeremiah's terrible ten listing of what constitutes a false prophet. First of all, their life and message are inconsistent. Jeremiah said, I've seen in the prophets a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. I just heard today that one of the most prominent and prolific authors dealing with end times has been married four times. What does that tell you? That's almost as many times as Larry King was married and divorced and remarried and divorced and remarried. Remember, Jeremiah said, I have seen in the prophets a horrible thing. 
They commit adultery and walk in lies. In other words, their life and their message are inconsistent. The divorce and remarriage rate among pastors and those claiming prophetic voices today is equal to that of their parishioners and is the second highest among all American professions. Believe it or not. Yet Jesus, the ultimate prophet, said, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another commits adultery against her. And whoever marries the one so divorced commits adultery. At least 30% of our pastors play with pornography by their own admissions and are therefore adulterers by Jesus' definition, aren't they? Are you beginning to get the point? Next, a false prophet strengthens evildoers. Jeremiah says, I've seen in the prophets a horrible thing. They strengthen the hands of the evildoers. Now, how is that possible? Well, the prevailing preponderance of so-called prophetic voices, at least in Western culture, have increasingly, over the past generations, set aside biblical standards of righteousness in favor of disintegrating cultural standards. So they, in effect, seduce those who follow them to believe that their false message is true. By false precept and folly in their own life practice, they have modeled and massaged, coddled and enculturated evil, false, authenticating the growing sinful practices of their parishioners. By exalting feelings over faith, they have, among other things, justified the divorces that God says he hates, calling them to answer, calling them answers to prayer, God's second chances, or a new beginning. I once had a man, a number of years ago, sit in our kitchen. He was visiting with us. He was renowned as a prophet. And he was bragging, literally bragging about God, how God had uh, led him to divorce his spouse and remarry someone else when his spouse was still living. Bragging about it. It was God's will. Come on, friends. Are we going to get honest with ourselves? If we don't, judgment's coming quickly. We'll be back after this to identify further characteristics of the false prophet. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Seducing spirits and doctrines, identifying the nature, characteristics of a false prophet. From the book of Jeremiah, 
who speaks profoundly concerning this matter of false prophets. Another characteristic is that they do not repent. Jeremiah said, None does return from his wickedness. They have become unto me as Sodom and as Gomorrah. Wow. It's as if sin has become sacrosanct. I remember U.S. News and World Report back in, uh, I think it was 1997, declared on its cover these words, premarital sex, the sin America's wink at. But the magazine writers were unable to get any prominent Christian leader to comment because the problem was so vast within the evangelical church that those leaders risked losing popular support and finances for their projects and so they remain silent. They're false prophets. While purporting to be engaged in the culture wars to restore righteousness in the country, they knew that their own constituencies were guilty as sin for their premarital sex. So they wouldn't talk about it. They don't repent. Jeremiah says, false prophet's vision is not from God. He said, hearken not to the words of the prophets. They make you vain. They speak a vision of their own heart and not out of the mouth of the Lord. While purporting to speak for God, they speak their own thoughts, their own schemes, their own ideas. He went on to say they promise peace. They say the Lord has said you shall have peace. No evil will come upon you. Why do they say that? Because they know that's what the people want to hear. False prophets pander to the people, telling them favorable things to gain their favor. They refuse to risk their own reputation to restore God's reputation. So they choose to preach renewal without repentance. Revival without a return to righteousness. Friends, that, unfortunately, is the nature of the so-called revival and renewal gatherings that have been multiplying over the past 15, 20 years. There's no call to righteousness and repentance in the church. We want the pagans to come to God rather than the church to return to God. Another characteristic, Jeremiah says, is they don't turn the people from evil. If they stood in my counsel, then they should have turned them from their evil way, said Jeremiah. The true prophet is usually called to come forth openly when the people and their leaders are wandering from the straight path. And pastors should so speak, but when the cultural drift has metastasized so dramatically among both pastor and people, pastors become the guardians of the status quo while claiming to guard the flock. So they become unwilling to address moral decadence and unrighteous living, not wanting to offend so as to risk favor or the flow of finances. So they, in effect, become false prophets, for their ministry becomes a pretense. I know this thing, this may sound a little harsh, friend. This is coming directly from the Bible. This is coming directly from God's warning to his people through the prophet Jeremiah. Another characteristic, false prophets misappropriate God's name. 
I've heard what the prophets say, says the Lord. They prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. They're prophets of the deceit of their own heart. Friends, it's a serious thing to appropriate the name of the Lord to say, thus saith the Lord, or the Lord told me. And the more our faith becomes ever more fickle through the exaltation of our feelings as the arbiter of truth, this misappropriation of the name of the Lord by pastors and prophets and people to baptize fleeting feelings as truth is increasing. You know, you know what I'm sharing with you is true. Haven't we been told not to take the name of the Lord in vain? By deifying our feelings or God, using God's name to manipulate the fickle masses? Jeremiah says another characteristic of false prophets is that they preach and prophesy unfaithfully. The prophet that hath my word, let him speak my word faithfully. Obviously, it's possible from God's perspective to preach his word unfaithfully and to prophesy in an unfaithful manner. How many times have I heard people say, well, my pastor preaches the word. I'm not going to disagree with that. The problem isn't whether he preaches the word, it's whether he preaches the whole word and brings it all into total balance from God's viewpoint because viewpoint determines destiny. If he's just preaching the word so that it leaves people feeling good all the time, like Oprah Winfrey said when she went down to Dr. Smiley's church in Houston, sitting on the front row and said it was so happy because he didn't make me feel bad. Another characteristic is they copycat their prophecies. Thus saith the Lord, Ah, behold, I am against the prophets that steal my words, every one from his neighbor, that use their tongues and say, He saith, Look, I've been in the body of Christ for a very long time, grew up in the church from coast to coast, many different denominations, evangelical, charismatic, Word faith have been there, seen it. It's become commonplace for pastors and prophets to mimic one another. Like politicians, they take, they like to take their cues, not from God, but from others perceived as more successful than they. So they travel from seminar to seminar, conference to conference to get their marching orders and then place God's name upon their own thoughts to authenticate them before others. Like politicians, they do spiritual polling to determine which way the wind of the spirit is blowing. It's deception. I could give you some very specific illustrations of this, but we don't have time. Another characteristic is that the prophet's message, the false prophet's message is gospel light. 
L-I-T-E. Jeremiah wrote, Behold, I am against them that prophesy and cause my people to heirs, to err by their lies and by their lightness. Therefore they shall not profit this people at all, saith the Lord. So here are two principal ways those purporting to speak prophetically deceive. First of all, they lie and they turn God's weighty word into little more than a motivational mantra of self-help slogans and systems. They pander to the people in the name of Christ, which kind of borders on blasphemy. Lying is not only defined by what is said, but also what, what is not said. If we preach only God's promises and blessings, but skirt away from his warnings, correction, and judgment, we have indeed preached the word, or have we? If we speak of his love, mercy, favor, and forgiveness, but refuse to speak equally of his truth, his justice, and judgment, and the necessity of obedience and repentance, have we not presented an unbalanced and therefore false gospel? Will gospel light save a people weighted down with sin and unrighteousness just because we bring them inside the doors of churches that are filled with parishioners who refuse to repent because our pastors and prophets are more concerned with their personal reputation than a true prophet's reward? Now, those are the ten illustrations that Jeremiah gives us of a false prophet. The counterfeit Christ, the Antichrist, is going to need a counterfeit prophet. Just as John the Baptist came to prepare the way of the Lord for the coming of Christ, as a true prophet, Jesus said there had not arisen a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Even so, the Bible tells us very clearly in Revelation chapter 13 that the Antichrist, the imposter Christ, will have a false prophet who will even do miracles. A counterfeit Christ needs a counterfeit prophet to declare his message so as to convince the people of his authenticity. So as the Antichrist begins to be exalted as a political savior or anointed one by the final beast empire prophesied there in the book of Daniel, gaining phenomenal favor with the global citizens through crafty politics, promises of peace and flattery, another beast will arise. And this second beast is identified as the false prophet. He exercises all the power of the first beast and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast. He, like he, like the counterfeit Christ himself, represents, will undoubtedly employ flattery to gain favor with the people. And like so many false prophets today and in the past, he will tell the people what he thinks they want to hear. He might even quote scripture to seduce the saints who have failed to study the word of God diligently so as to rightly divide the word of truth. He's also going to be a miracle worker. He's even going to counterfeit the prophet Elijah to deceive both Jew and Gentile, making fire come down from heaven in the sight of men. Do you think it's necessary, important for us to understand and discern the false prophet and false prophecy? 
So what are the pertinent principles that we should glean from all of this that we've been talking about to avoid this massive end-time deception? First of all, we must be personally anchored in the full truth of God's Word so that you and I can rightly divide the Word of Truth and not be seduced by having it turned against us. Next, we must realize that miracles are no substitute for the ministry of the truth through the Word of God. It's not that miracles are not for today, as some are preaching. That's also false prophecy. But we have to be very careful about the person. Next, we must be committed to the whole Word of God, both the Old and New Testament, and live out God's truth in spirit and in truth through obedient, holy lives. Next, we we can't be seduced by our feelings and choreographed emotionalism in the name either of God or government, friends. We have to build a tower of trust in the God of truth through a continuous cycle of loving obedience and repentance, restoring and maintaining true spiritual sensitivity to God's still, small voice. Next, we must seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And finally, listen carefully, we must be prepared to stand alone and not be seduced by the massive majorities who value temporal life and peace over eternal life and peace, thus rejecting the true Prince of Peace in favor of Satan's imposter. I hope this has been helpful. Might be strong words, but it's tough talk for troubled times and much needed. Therefore, brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil in this evil day. Thanks for joining us. Become a partner, get a copy of the book, Seduction of the Saints, Staying Pure in a World of Deception, $15 on our website. Also, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter, right there on the website, $22. We'll put it in your hands. Go to the website, saveus.org, call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. And let's be doers of the word and not just hearers only, deceiving our own selves. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.